Hello, hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Max Tillman. When I ask you what the cost of climate change is, you're most likely to answer with a bigger macroeconomic picture. But what are the actual figures? Last week, the New South Wales Treasury's intergenerational report on climate risk showed that the average annual cost of climate change for the state of New South Wales are set to increase by an eye-watering $10 billion over the coming decades. Natural disasters already cost Australians over $13 billion on average every year, expected to rise to $40 billion per year by 2050. The National Climate Disaster Fund is a proposal by independent think tank the Australia Institute for an independently administered fund to reduce the cost burden of natural disaster responses and recovery to Australian households, businesses and, ultimately, taxpayers. It would be funded through a levy of a dollar per tonne of carbon dioxide for all coal, gas and oil produced in Australia and would raise roughly around $1.5 billion per year at the current prices and levels of production. Joining me today to discuss this further is the Australia Institute's Principal Climate Advisor, Mark Oag. Thanks so much for coming on. I guess the most obvious question to start off with, what exactly does the Australia Institute believe a national climate disaster fund would look like? The Australia Institute is proposing a small charge on fossil fuels exported from Australia, particularly coal and gas, to help pay for the costs of um, climate change that at the moment ordinary Australian households and businesses are bearing. So basically asking for a contribution to the costs of climate change from from the companies, the handful of companies who are doing the most to cause the problem in the first place. Who ultimately is carrying the burden, the financial burden of Australia's climate policies? Yeah, look, I think I should start that by actually talking about what the what the costs are to ordinary Australians. So there's a huge range of impacts that climate change has on us, and one of them is uh, natural disasters, and that includes things like fires, floods, heat waves, extreme weather events, all that kind of thing. They can impact us through, you know, through damage to our property, like houses burning down or cars damaged, that kind of thing. Um, through to personal injury or personal injury or even death, disruption to our lives and incomes. Like when these things happen, we, um, you know, we often can't continue running our businesses or our or our lives get disrupted while we have to rebuild and all that kind of thing. You know, right down to the cost of increases in the cost of um, foods and goods and services and impacts on our on our health, particularly our mental health. So the the the, the costs are massive. And um, at the moment, they just fall they fall entirely on ordinary Australians. So when you think about it, whatever those are, costs are, ultimately, ultimately uh, at the moment, we all pay. So if your house burns down, you have to either you cost some, you incur some or all of the costs yourself. Uh, if it's paid by insurance, that's ultimately paid for by uh, an increase in premiums. Um, for people living in those areas or, or, or by everyone. If it's public infrastructure that's damaged like roads or bridges or, um, or public buildings that's paid for in, by through our taxes and there's a lot of stuff that local councils have to pay for, uh, including maintaining infrastructure and that kind of thing, and so that's paid for by increasing rates. And then there's just all the, the, the costs of disruption that we that we incur. So at the moment, 100% of the costs of climate change are being 
paid by um, by ordinary Australian households and businesses. And do you think that it's quite important, particularly with an issue like this? And and for a very long time, it, it's been common fact that any sort of detrimental effect on the environment will have a negative effect upon anything from as you mentioned earlier, grocery prices, all the way up to insurance premiums. Is this one of the first times that a study has actually put pen to paper regarding what those costs would actually entail? It's a very elaborate report. It's one that uh, examines the impacts upon a very, very broad range of different demographics and, and particularly the impact on Pacific Island. Uh, Neighbours of ours as well are also included. Do you think that it's important that when we talk about an issue as large and as confronting as climate change, the debate needs to be put into terms that everyone can understand and, and can relate to? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, what we've done is summarised um, the impacts and the, and the costs of, of those impacts <clears throat> on um, on people in uh, different sectors of the economy, I guess, um, but also uh, sort of different demographics, as you say, uh, like the um, like uh, Pacific neighbours. And um, I guess we're trying to really just get people to think through how what the impacts are on them, because at the moment, you know, you have natural disasters and people don't necessarily link the disaster to climate change, so they don't make that that connection. That because climate change is is increasing the frequency and and severity of all of these things. So, you know, it's really important that people understand that climate change is actually causing that. And then, even when people realise that, they don't necessarily connect the the, the event. To, or, you know, the disaster to the increased costs they're paying, you know, like increasing insurance and paying things through our taxes and, and, and that kind of thing. And then they often don't link the... Um, people don't necessarily link uh, these disasters and, and impacts of climate change to the actual cause, which is primarily burning fossil fuels and, and that just a handful of companies that operate globally are, you know, are fueling most of this problem. So I guess the the levy idea sort of, and, and what we've tried to do is join the dots for people between uh, natural disasters, climate change, the costs and the causes of those disasters. Mm. And on Monday, Prime Minister Scott Morrison declared that Australia would chart its own course uh, regarding climate change and, and particularly regarding our own emission targets for the year 2050. Now, the Prime Minister made very clear that it would be the best technology and the animal spirits of capitalism and not taxes like a carbon price uh, that will help Australia achieve those targets. So do you feel that when it comes to putting a price on carbon emissions, anything regarding that debate has just been buried under almost a decade of political infighting? Do you think it's difficult to even talk about a subject like that anymore and gain any sort of political traction, just given how poisonous this topic has been for multiple governments over the last decade? Yeah, so there's a whole lot of points there. The first thing I'd say is this this kind of disparaging language around tax makes absolutely no sense because um, we have t- taxes are, 
Are great. We have taxes for a very, very good reason, and that is because there's a whole lot of infrastructure and services that we absolutely rely on. If you don't have taxes, you don't have emergency responders, you don't have roads, you don't have transport, you don't have bridges, all of that kind of thing. So healthcare, education. So so just writing off taxes is just is just ideological rhetoric that that actually stands up to stands up to zero scrutiny. You know, so. Put, put that to one side. So the pro- Prime Minister seems to be, you know, confirming that the government doesn't, you know, isn't really going to do much, uh, you, know, you, you know, do much to raise the level of ambition with climate change. This idea of, you know, that there, there are these miracle technologies um, is, in, the, in the future is really a way of procrastinating on doing anything now because we have all the, you know, the, the amazing thing is that we have all the solutions to climate change now and they're, you know, particularly renewable energy and energy efficiency and all of those kinds of things. And it's not just that we have the technologies, they're cheaper than the fossil fuels we're using now. So that that that's extraordinary. We are extraordinarily lucky lucky to be in that position. But what the government's saying is, no, we won't roll out those things that we already have now, like electric vehicles and renewable energy and and good land management and all that kind of thing. We won't do any of that. Uh, we'll wait for these silver bullet technologies like carbon capture and storage or um, hydrogen that may or may not prove to be viable in the future because they're absolutely not viable now. So so it's kind of a way of procrastination. The next point that you raise is given all the sort of um, partisanship and and controversy around climate change because there's been so much misinformation around, and particularly around the carbon tax, does that make a proposal like our climate compensation fund funded by levy on fossil fuel exports, does it make that uh, difficult or impossible to achieve? And the answer to that is that it absolutely doesn't because we've done polling and 67% of Australians support a, we found that 67% of Australians um, support a levy on fossil fuel exports to pay for the impacts of climate change. And this is you know, people are increasingly realising realise that at the moment they're paying for 100% of the impacts of climate change and unless we put a levy on the companies, the handful of global companies, the big oil and gas majors around the world who, fuel, who, who are predominantly fueling this crisis, unless we start getting a contribution out of them, then we will all be paying for all of it forever. And that's completely unsustainable because these, these costs are growing uh, massively and rapidly as climate change escalates. So already people support the proposal uh, by, by a large margin and they're going to support it more as, they, as it dawns on everybody the, uh, the massive costs we're paying and who's responsible for them. Mm. And just for the sake of the argument, could you um, distinguish the levy that the Australian Institute is suggesting as opposed to previous iterations of the carbon tax that we all know? A levy on fossil fuel exports is fundamentally different to a carbon tax. Now, I actually think a carbon tax is, and the Australian Institute thinks the carbon tax is a really good idea because what it does is it puts a price on carbon so 
activities that are carbon carbon intensive do have a higher price and it disincentivizes that activity. So if you put a, a price on electricity, a carbon price on it, then electricity produced from coal costs more than renewables. So um, that incentivizes the building of renewable energy, which reduces emissions. And, and that's, that's a really good idea. But what we're talking about here is actually something completely different from that because it's a, it's a levy on fossil fuel exports only. So it's only on fuels that are being exported. So it can't be passed on to Australian consumers through higher energy prices because it's only on coal and gas that's being exported. And those companies actually will find it really difficult to pass that, that on to overseas uh, customers either. These companies are, are um, price takers in the global market, so they can't just, uh, you, know, you know, they have to produce for what the price that people are, are willing to pay. So uh, they'll have to absorb those costs. And um, remember, if we don't do that, then we, then we pay, Right in all, all those different ways. So actually, we're getting them to pay rather than us. Now, all the money, if you have a carbon price, that money gets, a lot of it just goes back into compensating people who have higher energy bills and trade-exposed companies and all that kind of thing. So it's quite a convoluted and complicated way of redistributing the costs of, of a carbon price. But with an export levy, 100% of that money goes into dealing with the with the problems that have been caused. It goes into reconstruction, you know, relief, uh, emergency response, assisting people through hardship, all of those kinds of things. So it's incredibly efficient because 100% of the money raised goes to solving the problem. And during the Howard era, there was a very... Uh, well understood principle regarding uh, particularly our our coal fired power stations and our export of uh, of emission intensive products uh, it was well known that there would be no uh, reform of the industry that would any in any way compromise Australia's competitive advantage on the global stage. So would there potentially be an argument from a conservative side of this debate uh, that a levy on Australian exports would have a detrimental effect on Australia's competitive advantage. Yeah, so the fundamental kind of assumption in that question that's that's wrong is that they're actually that, that it's Australian exports because what what actually happens is you know Australians own the resources underground and we license a whole bunch of multinational companies to dig it up and send it overseas. So it's there there's you know, a few of them are domiciled in Australia, but most of them are actually big global multinationals like Chevron and Peabody and Exxon and, you know, all, all of those kinds of companies. Now, these companies employ very, very few people and they pay, most of them pay no tax at all in Australia, no company tax or, or any kind of resource rent tax. So, we're basically giving it away. So, so if the you know if there was some kind of disincentive for them to uh, to keep operating in Australia, then it's going to make no difference to ordinary Australians because the benefit goes pretty much entirely to uh, shareholders of these companies who are mostly overseas shareholders. Even if that's the case, it won't disincentivise them anyway because 
the unless it, unless we were talking about a really big levy because the because the levy we're proposing is just noise compared with the uh, ordinary variations in the coal and gas price. Um, it, it it would make uh, no difference at all. And even if you did have a really big levy that actually was a real impost on these these companies, then they're they're kind of limited because they don't want to you know the resources are here. So they're going to do they're going to do everything they can to maintain a foothold in Australia and um, uh, maintain their um, their rights to those resources that uh, that Australian governments have given them over the years. Mm. And I think another interesting point is that the government have made very clear, and you've mentioned this earlier in the discussion, that a lot of our hopes are hitched to uh, what you described as silver bullet technologies, particularly carbon capture uh, and and hydrogen power are two that have been um, heavily marketed by the Liberal Party, particularly Angus Taylor and his energy department. Uh, But do you think that that entire argument is is based uh, in a bit of a fallacy that can market forces really correct environmental losses? Oh, look, the market does play some role in solving climate change in the sense of with renewable energy, um, it has, because renewable energy was incentivised by the government, uh, previous governments anyway, um, that did actually drive a lot of uh, development in renewable energy and, and is really helpful. It's driven the costs way down. Mind you, most of the costs of renewable energy were driven down by the early deployment of the Germans and the Chinese. So they did a massive favour to humanity by investing heavily in renewables and driving those costs down. And now freeloading countries like Australia are able to take advantage of cheap solar panels and, and, and wind turbines and that kind of thing. What Angus Taylor and, and, and the government are talking about is not, is not free, free market. It's a, a, absolutely the opposite. They're offering a whole lot of taxpayers' money to oil and gas companies to to, to do carbon capture and storage projects, which very few of them have been successful in the past, uh, despite huge amounts of government subsidies. So rather than spending taxpayers' money on stuff that we know will reduce emissions at a low cost, i.e., roll out renewable energy, do energy efficiency, electrify our industries, doing all all of those simple things, they're going to get the taxpayers' money and give it to oil and gas companies to undertake these speculative technologies that at the moment don't really work or certainly don't work at scale. So it's a, it's a, a policy for procrastination, not a policy for action. And Labor's response to uh, Prime Minister Morrison's address on Monday was to essentially argue that Australia's future is in renewable energy. However, I think it's quite interesting that uh, Mr Albanese's response tended to lean towards a job revolution is the term that he used to describe what could potentially be on the cards for Australia if we were to lean into renewable energies. But do you think that the debate is a little bit too fixed on 
renewable energy as the solution? Do you think that even the Labor Party are starting to potentially stray from the fact that the consequences are here and now and that proposals like the Australia Institutes to have a compensation fund that would be able to ease the burden of any future natural disasters and the economic impacts of them, uh, do you think that the Labor Party are maybe a little bit coy to agree to something as audacious as a compensation fund? So what what the opposition are talking about at the moment is doing things to is doing things to mitigate our domestic emissions. What we're talking about doing is putting a levy on fossil fuel exports. So it's not it's not on domestic emissions, it's on it's on fossil fuel export emissions so when those fossil fuels are burnt overseas they will produce those emissions so carbon tax would would cover the domestic stuff so there's bipartisan support with the major political parties in australia for continuing to mine and export massive amounts of coal and gas and so they and it's a bit of an elephant in the room because because the um, emissions from our coal and gas exports uh, double our domestic emissions. They're absolutely massive and there's plans to massively expand that. Uh, neither party has shown any willingness to constrain that at all. Uh, this, What we're proposing is to put a levy on those exports to, um, because, you know, they're the things that are prim- primarily, you know, driving activities in Australia that are primarily driving climate change. So let's put a levy on that and pay for some of the impacts it's it's causing. I mean, we also believe that there should be a moratorium on uh, new coal mines and over time we should be phasing out coal and gas exports in Australia. But at the moment, um, neither of the major political parties are willing to touch that. But that's going to change as people realise how devastating the impacts of climate change are and that these activities are fueling that climate change, making these disasters more frequent and more extreme, and that they're paying, and that ordinary people like you and I are paying those costs, and these companies are paying nothing. A very interesting part of this report was the potential impacts upon mental health. Mental health is expected to have quite a large package in this year's budget. And the government, obviously, since the pandemic, have become acutely aware of the uh, strains upon regular Australians. But when it comes to issues regarding climate, we've had a horrible last few years, floods, fires. Uh, Australians are now more aware of climate change and the catastrophic impacts of it than they have been in the past, and, and particularly it's a new frame of reference for, for the last 20 years of fires and droughts. When we talk about the mental health costs of this and we talk about that sense of fatigue that Australians will feel, particularly with how lethargic governments are with taking action against climate change, do you think that might potentially be one of the biggest long-term impacts of this is that, that change in mentality and that sense of almost hopelessness that some people might be feeling? You know, climate change has massive mental health impacts. I mean, even before you consider the actual impacts of fires and floods and all of those kinds of things, think of the impact on um, ordinary people, particularly young people, who 
are starting to realise that we're leaving them with a world where they're not going to be able to experience ecosystems that are uh, that are intact, uh, where they're going to have to deal with just extreme heat and uh, fires and, um, and and floods on an unprecedented scale for the rest of their life, getting getting worse and worse as we all get older. I mean, you know, that has a massive uh, impact on people. The intangible or indirect costs of natural disasters, of which mental health makes up a very large proportion, are thought to be greater than the tangible losses like property damage and, and that kind of thing. So climate change has a huge impact on the well-being of, uh, of every Australian and, and everyone in the world, actually. And I don't think we're even beginning to realise just how profound that impact is. Well, that's about it for today's episode of Think Business Futures. This program is broadcast from the studios of 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, produced in association with the UTS Business School and broadcast nationwide via the Community Radio Network. Once again, thank you to today's guest, Mark Ogue from the Australia Institute. Make sure to catch all our episodes online wherever you get your podcasts. I've been Max Tillman. I'll see you again next week.